Shalom Aleichem. Welcome to Tune In, a podcast of the Yiddish Book Center. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I am visiting with Asaf Galay, a co-director and co-producer of The Muses of Beshevet Singer. And along with that, he has also directed uh, several other films and been a content editor for many historical documentaries and museum exhibitions. Welcome, Asaf. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you for being with us today. Um, I will say that it was a delight to meet you the other day and to screen the film here at the Yiddish Book Center. It's a fantastically interesting film and beautifully crafted. And my first question to you is, what drew you to produce and direct this movie? Uh, so I was born in a Yiddish-speaking family. My father was uh, always... Uh, told me not to read Isaac Bashevizinger because uh, in the Yiddish world uh, they don't most of the Yiddish writers don't like him maybe they are jealous of him and he always uh, recommend me to read other Yiddish writers like uh, Isaac Bashevizinger brother Israel Yoshua Zinger Chaim Gwada and many other but uh, when father tell your son not to do something you are doing it <laughs> So I started to read his uh, children's stories, and later on I read uh, his uh, Hebrew translations for the novels, and then I started to look for his uh, more stories of him because it was really captured me, and I liked very much uh, to read more. So I started to read his short stories in English, and I found out that in each one of his stories, another name of a woman is credited as a translator. So I started to count it, and I got to the number of 48 women translators. And uh, I said, okay, there is something here. I need uh, this is a very mysterious thing. I never heard about this phenomenon. So I need to look uh, what is behind. And uh, I tw- started to contact the translators, and it were, this is how this movie started. So his first translator was Saul Bellow, and he translated Gimple the Fool, I think, in, was it 1953? Exactly. Okay. And that translation was very much acclaimed, um, but it gave credit and acclaim to both um, Bello and to Singer, which I gather is maybe the backstory to Singer's decision going forward um, as to who and how his work would be translated. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about that. So the translation on, on 53 of uh, Gippel the Fool uh, was published in Partisan Review. It was a was the magazine that also saw Bello publish a lot of his uh, short stories, and it was uh, Bello's milieu, and uh, people thought that it's a lot of because of Bello did he such a great work uh, with uh, Isaac Bashevizinger, and Isaac Bashevizinger felt very envy and very jealous about it, and he said that, uh, okay, from now on I will take uh, my, the business of the translator in, uh, to himself, and he started to look for young uh, translators that are not uh, uh, that it's not uh, not re- well known for this profession. 
and he also found this method, the Zinger method, how to translate the stories that he will uh, read them in English already, the Yiddish manuscript, so he doesn't need to have a translator that know Yiddish. And uh, while he was reading uh, this manuscript, he would uh, change a lot of his stories. He would change the characters, he would make it uh, shorter, change sometimes ending, because he tried to make these stories more appealing for the American audience, for the non-Jewish audience. That that aspect was fascinating to me when I was watching the film because you have this historic footage where you see Singer with a translator, and in most instances he's sort of he's sitting or he's reclining and he's just sort of comfortably reading his work in the original Yiddish and simultaneously translating it, and then it, then and then in certain times it seems like there's an exchange between him and the translator while they're taking down this dictation and maybe they nuance a word or do a little copy editing to improve it. And it's just, it's not like, I think it's safe to say it's not like literary translation, which was what, more akin to what Saul Bellow was doing. And how, what do you think this says about Singer and this process and what he imagined was the role of the translator? Or was it he was so threatened by somebody usurping him? So the role was really, they were his like, uh, there was like his also, the, he used them also to be translator for the American culture. Like if he would try to, to tell them a, a proverb or a word that they didn't understand in English, uh, in, that it, uh, the original was in Yiddish and he tried to translate it in, to English, he would cut it, like if it's a quote from the Bible or it's a proverb in, proverb in Yiddish that is full of proverbs. So if it was not working, it was couldn't be translated to the next uh, language. He could uh, he could cut if he would think that thing uh, that he could see in their faces or they don't understand uh, what uh, what is this character? Why you need the uh, he would cut it. So they really changed the stories a lot of time. Like, for example, uh, Shosha, his famous novel, Shosha in Yiddish, it's 700 pages. In English, it's 200 pages. He cut a lot during this process. So it, yeah. it seems then that he used these translators more as sort of... Um, like a focus group nowadays, we might call it, where they would listen to him doing the translation and he would gauge their reaction and then make changes accordingly to make it more palatable or more interesting or accessible? Yes, yes. They were like his uh, focus group for the new generation in America, for the that didn't grow up in uh, East Europe, that didn't understand a lot of this... Uh, culture and mentality and uh, together they changed things and they uh, they made it like a new a new kind of uh, creation a new kind of uh, stories uh, of course it's base it's similar it's made it, like uh, Isaac Bashev is used to tell if you have something to tell in a stories it will go out through all the language like the Bible. 
Mm-hmm. But still, uh, as we know, in each language of the Bible, in each religion, there is so many interpretations for the story. And this is what he did. So the, the process of selecting these women or asking them to work with him on one or another works, it all seemed to be somewhat arbitrary. Like he'd meet them, and then he would invite them to be his muse, his translator. Um, and I wonder what your thoughts were about both how hard it was for him to find these women, or um, did he have, was he really that sort of sharp in terms of finding, and they're all very different. They all have different backgrounds. They all went on to do different things. But still they have a very common things. that most of them are, were Jewish that was born in uh, in uh, f- they were the first generation in their families. They were really young. They didn't. They just finished their BA, and he knew to still he he had the things that he could uh, uh, knew to uh, to know about this to to read the personality because all of these women became very literature in the literature world after the after the meeting with him, like Hannah Bloch, the famous translators, or Ruth Rittman, or the last translator, Doba Label, now she's the head of the creative uh, department in the University of Miami. All of them became uh, involved in the literature world. Because, so he knew to recognize some... Uh, something in them that they didn't know still about them. Mm-hmm. Because after that, they became professional writers, translators, scriptwriters, playwriters. He knew to recognize something. And uh, still, he wanted that they, they, he will be young and uh, that he was very cheap, that he will not need to pay them a lot. And. Was it hard for the um, women to tell the story? Uh, for some of them, it would took a while, and they were very protective about him and about this uh, and about the the history. But uh, some of them were really amazed that first time that uh, somebody is coming and uh, asks them about the the role their part in the translation because most of the time he got all the famous and uh, nobody cared about who was the translators and they knew how much they were involved and had so much uh, important part and they were happy to tell about this part. I I wanted to ask you that um, and I was wondering how they see their role and I wonder if there's just, you know, if there's one story you could share with us about how when one of these women perceived what their role was in bringing this literature to um, English readers? Uh, so, uh, let me think. <laughs> you know, they're all very compelling stories. But yeah. I was just wondering if there was one who who stands out in terms of defining what her thoughts were about the role. I think that uh, I will take uh, Marie-Pierre Bay, that she's his French translator. That she 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 understood that uh, 
that Hevel is uh, not only to translate from English to uh, to French, that it was also the world to work that uh, in Europe that people will know more about uh, Isaac Bashevizinger. And she told him a lot that uh, he should write more uh, about uh, also not... Uh, about his childhood, and she was one of that uh, that really told uh, him to write, that uh, pushed him to re- to write about what it's called the uh, wait later my, for my father courthouse, mm-hmm. and she and this is a different kind of uh, creation that it's more autobiographical of Isaac Bashevizinger, and uh, I think that she had a really important role in this. And there was great historic footage in this documentary, which really, I think, um, enhanced understanding. And I know that one of the people who was here for the screening asked the question, and I wondered if you could talk a little bit about how you came to find it, and also um, why you think Singer allowed the footage to be taken. Uh, I think that he really liked to get uh, to be film, but uh, it was really rare in this time to have uh, home videos and and uh, it's not uh, like in our days that every girl has a cell phone. So one day uh, when I was looking for uh, more materials about him, I found out a guy in Japan that was a big admirer of, uh, he was a big fan of Isaac Bashevizinger, and he came to him on the the late 70s after he won the Nobel Prize and filmed him a lot, uh, a lot of home movies. And he gave it to me and then I said uh, how how people think about Isaac Bashevis Zinker in Japan and he told me people loved him here and uh, he told me that the Banana Yashimoto, the famous woman writer in uh, Japanese admires Isaac Bashevizinger, and then I checked with the sale agent of Isaac Bashevizinger, and still, uh, Japan, this is the place that Isaac Bashevizinger is the most uh, readable, and people read his, uh, buy his books, and uh, found out that there is a rock band, punk band, on the name of Isaac Bashevizinger. <laughs> in Japan, and he's a real phenomenon in uh, there. In, uh, in Israel, new writers came, and also in the uh, United States, we have a new generation of uh, Jewish-American writers, but uh, in Japan, they still love him a lot. And I wonder if the film took on its own sort of storyline for you as you worked on it. Did it did it change? Did you have new insights? Is it the story that you imagined um, when you set out to tell it? No, I, I thought that I will only tell a story that will be with a lot of humor, with a lot of fun, uh, with admiration. And after that, I found out there is uh, some complexity and some uh, other sided of uh, Isaac Bashevizinger that... Uh, were changing uh, my mind uh, about him, and uh, still I love him, but now I see him uh, more as a complex man. I think very. Um, it's a really 
wonderful film. Again, thank you for sharing it with us and for joining us today. Um, and just quickly, it's making the rounds at a lot of different film festivals. And are there other ways for our listeners to find their way to screenings? Uh, soon it will be in one of the streaming uh, companies. I don't know when. And uh, we will have also DVDs. And we will sell the DVDs in the Yiddish Book Center. Oh. Well, we will be delighted to have them here. Again, it's Muses of Beshevet Singer. Thank you again, Asaf, for joining us, and we look forward to your next documentary. Thank you very much. Okay, be well. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to Tune In, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. To subscribe to this and other podcasts, visit YiddishBookCenter.org. I'm Sarah Bleichfeld. Be happy, be healthy, and tune in again soon. Bye.